right, all right, all right. Well, um, I've got about an hour and a half of a sermon in me. Um, no, I'm kidding. We're going to keep it brief today. But I do want some closing thoughts as we've, uh, you know, gone through this. This is week four now of a, of a focus that we've had as a church um, on this idea of contending, right? How many of you guys have been challenged and blessed by this last few weeks here? Contend with me. Awesome. Me too. I really have been. I want to encourage you, if you missed any of the teachings, um, you can go online and grab them. God is really uh, doing a fresh thing in this community, and it's really exciting to see, really exciting to be a part of. And uh, we've covered a lot of ground. If you remember the first week, we looked at this idea of Jesus' value system. Do you remember that? And we talked about how Jesus loves people who are far from God, that he gives himself for those who are far from God, that he's the God who leaves the 99 to find the one stupid sheep that has walked far away from him. And so um, it's beautiful that he loves us like that, is it not? I mean, it's just amazing. The week after that, we talked about how to see more miracles. And I hope that you're applying this stuff at your workplace and in your family. How to see more miracles is through shameless, persistent knocking. Consistently asking God to move is one of the greatest and most powerful ways to see the miraculous manifest. And then last week, we talked about the arena. We talked about the arena. And uh, we talked about how uh, we must apply the protection of God to our personal lives. And I gave you seven points. Do you remember that? Seven ways to apply the protection of Jesus. If you don't remember, you can go online and, uh, and review it. It's actually on a blog post as well at ourcitychurch.org. And I want to encourage you to actually use that stuff. Actually pray that stuff because it is completely transformative. Um, transformative. So before we get going here, what I want to do is just turn to a person to your left or to your right. And I want you to pray a blessing from God over them today. That the stuff we've covered so far would actually be applied in our lives. So go ahead. You don't even know the person. It's kind of awkward. That's fine. Just turn and pray for them. Put your hand on their shoulder. Say, God, I bless them right now. Take 30 seconds just to bless the person next to you. I bless them right now in the name of Jesus. God, I pray that the stuff that we've been learning wouldn't just be words. Let it be applied to our lives. I bless my brother. I bless my sister right now. In Jesus' name, go ahead. Take another 20 seconds. Just bless them. Speak the blessing of God over them today. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. We bless them now. In Jesus' name, I speak your blessing over my brother. I speak your blessing over my sister today. In the name of Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Amen. All right, some closing thoughts on this issue of contending. I want to hit a very important point. I'm going to try to do it quickly, okay? Um, How many of you have ever in the course of your life prayed for someone for a miracle and not seen it happen? And how many of you have not seen it happen and then there was this finality, like the person died or something shifted and it was kind of like, What do we do now? Have you ever been in that position before? Some of us have. I know in my life, as we're talking about praying for miracles early on, my wife and I, even before we were married, prayed for weeks and weeks and weeks for this particular girl who was a good friend of my wife's through work. And um, Jody was in a car accident, had experienced some brain damage and was paralyzed. And we prayed for her and 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 nothing changed. And uh, in those moments, you feel like, was my faith wasted, right? Did I waste my faith? 
And I want to share a very simple, very specific, and very profound truth with you in just a few minutes this morning to challenge us to actually apply the things we've been learning, okay? Because if we walk into this, but we don't understand this principle, and you're praying for people to come to Christ, and maybe you don't see it, or you're praying for people to be saved or to be healed, and maybe you don't see it right away, and you begin to misunderstand, it's possible for you and I to get bitter towards God, to get frustrated, and even to start to close down and stop believing. And so I need to lay us quick groundwork for what it means to really trust Jesus, okay? So we're going to zip around a little bit. I'm going to cover a significant portion of scripture, but I'm going to start in 2 Kings. It's going to be tough to see your Bible, but we'll have it up on the screen today. 2 Kings, I want to walk you through a story of a woman who interacts with the prophet Elisha. And I want you to try to see yourself in this story today, okay? See yourself in this story. I think God wants to say something specifically to you today in this story, starting in verse 8 of uh, 2 Kings 4. 2 Kings 4, one day Elisha went to Shunem, where a wealthy woman lived. I had like 16 jokes all based around Shunem. I just like that name, but I decided not to use any. Where a wealthy woman lived who urged him to eat some food. I like this wealthy woman. So whenever he passed that way, he would turn in there to eat food. And she said to her husband, behold, now I know that this is a holy man of God who is continually passing our way. Let us make a small room on the roof with walls and put there for him a bed, a table, a chair, and a lamp so that whenever he comes to us, he can go there. A couple things we learn right away about this woman is that she's wealthy and that she's generous and that she wants to honor God, right? And so the story goes on and Elisha the prophet wants to bless this woman because she's a consistent blessing to him. And so he finds out that this woman has not had a son. And of course, in that day, a son was crucial to pass on, um, you know, uh, all the inheritance of the father. And so her husband was very old and she had not yet had a son. And so she was looked down upon culturally for not having a son. And so Elisha the prophet gives her a promise. Check it out in verse 16. Look what he says as a promise from the Lord. And he said, at this season, about this time next year, you shall embrace a son. Look at her response. And she said, oh no, my Lord. O man of God, do not lie to your servant. Question for you today. Have you ever heard good news and responded like you didn't want to hear it because the walls around your heart were too afraid to risk again? Have you ever been in a position where you've risked for God and you've put your faith out there and you've trusted and you've done this stuff but now your relationship with God has gotten safe because you risked and it didn't happen? Stay with me today. You risked and it didn't happen. Maybe it's this issue. Maybe you've desired to have a child for so long and for some reason you've never had a child. And it's been difficult and now there's this kind of bitterness around it. And maybe it's a relationship and you've been single for a long time and you've been longing for a relationship and it just hasn't happened and here you are and weeks go by and months go by or maybe you've been looking for that dream job for a long time and it seems like other people keep getting the job and other people keep getting the job and you find yourself and you've asked God and you've prayed and you've prayed and you've asked God and now if someone was to come to you and tell you, hey, it's going to happen real soon, you would be like, don't even mess with me. Because I've got some issues there. I've got some walls built up around my heart. Maybe that's you today. God's got something better for you. Verse 17, check it out what happens to this woman. But the woman conceived and she bore a son about that time the following spring that Elijah had said to her. So it actually happens. What would that feel like? What would that feel like? You've been waiting for a promise for so long. Some of us know what that feels like. Some of us know what that feels like. You were waiting for a child for so long and finally you did get pregnant and you're about to have a baby. Or maybe you've already had the baby. Or maybe you've been waiting for that job and the job did open up. 
Or maybe you've been waiting for that relationship and the relationship actually has come. Now that's a wonderful thing, isn't it? It's a wonderful thing to be blessed by God, right? It's also a dangerous thing. It's a dangerous thing because you and I have a tendency inwardly to take the blessings of God and put them instead in the place of God. And so what happens sometimes in our hearts is we receive a blessing from God and we cling to it so tightly that we actually start holding to the blessing closer, holding on to the blessing more tightly than we're holding on to God himself. And so all of a sudden in your heart, there's a competition for who's king. And you say, God, I thank you for this relationship, but if you ever took it away from me, I don't know if I could follow you. God, I thank you for this job, but if I didn't have it, I don't know what I would do. God, I thank you for this child, but if he was ever stolen from me, if tragedy ever struck, God, I don't know if I could stay with you. Some of us, I dare say, you didn't think it was going to get this intense this quick, did you? Some of us, I dare say, are in this room and you are bitter towards God because of something that happened a long time ago that he took away. And you don't understand why. You don't understand why that person had to die, why that relationship had to fall apart. Well, this woman in the story understands the unexpected loss. Look at verse 18. When the child had grown, she went out, he went out one day to his father among the reapers. And he said to his father, oh, my head, my head. We don't know how old the boy is. Uh, he's probably eight or nine, something like that. The father said to his servant, carry him to his mother because they carry him, you know. And when he had lifted him and brought him to his mother, the child sat on her lap till noon, okay? And then he died. What? And then he died? This morning, he was playing great, right? This morning, everything was awesome. And now, at noon, he's dead? Question for you, how would you handle an unexpected loss? I was thinking about this talk and um, I couldn't stop thinking about December 14th, 2012. And um, I couldn't stop thinking about Sandy Hook Elementary School and the 20 little kids that, um, that unexpectedly were taken from this planet. I couldn't stop thinking about it and I was just looking at the pictures of uh, Noah Posner and Emily Parker and Dylan Hockley and um, reading some of the things their parents have said. One of the parents just um, recently wrote a post and they said, um, we've been given an impossible life to live. And I was just thinking to myself, my goodness, I have little boys, five and seven and six months. How would, it, wh- how would I cope with a loss like that, an unexpected loss? Here we find this woman in the scripture and she's lost something so unexpectedly. Maybe you were married and the marriage fell apart and he left. And you're by yourself now. And you're saying, God, I don't understand. I got some walls around my heart because I don't understand. Maybe you met the perfect girl or the perfect guy, but the relationship completely imploded and now you find yourself alone again farther than ever before from being married. Maybe you landed the perfect job and circumstances came up and now it doesn't seem all that perfect. Maybe you were healed of a disease and now you're sicker than you were before you were healed. And there's something inside of you that says, God, I don't get it. God, I don't understand. How does this work? In Hebrews chapter 11, it's probably my favorite passage in the Bible. We'll go back to 2 Kings, don't worry. But I want to hit you with Hebrews chapter 11. And I'm, I'm going to wrap up in just a few minutes here. I've only got like 40 or 45 more minutes to go. 
Hebrews chapter 11, we hear about some of the fathers and, and mothers of the faith, those faithful people who really believed God for miracles. And, um, you know, they saw some incredible miracles. But look at what the writer of Hebrews says in verse 13, all the way down to verse 16. Look how it describes all these heroes. So they've talked about Moses. They've talked about Abraham. They've talked about Sarah. All these great people of faith. And then it says this, These all died in faith, not having received things promised, but having seen them and greeting them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they're seeking a homeland, but if they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would not have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. In other words, stay with me today. Some of these people believed God for great things and never actually saw the great things manifest. In other words, Abraham was told that he would be a father of great nations, and he died with one kid. Moses was told that he would lead the people out of bondage, and yet he never stepped into the promised land. Again and again and again, we see people who were given these great promises, but didn't see the actualization of these promises. And the question I want to pose to you is, what sustained these people to die in faith, to die believing, to cross over into the next life, still joyful, rejoicing, confident, and believing, because whatever they got, you need some of that. I like it when you clap and cheer. It's more fun for me. Whatever they have, you need a little bit of, and I need a little bit of. Let me propose to you today that they believe something specific. And as we wrap up this whole concept of contending, I feel that this is probably the most important point to press at this moment. See, because we've looked at the lost and how important God views those that don't know Christ and how we should align our values with them. We've looked at miracles and how God wants us to pursue these things because he's already purchased them in the cross. And we looked at the armor and how God wants us to be protected. But as we charge forward, there's one other piece of the puzzle that we must engage if we are to operate in faith for the miraculous. And I want to show you in Hebrews 11.6 what I believe these people embraced what Abraham and Moses and Sarah and all the other great mothers and fathers of the faith embraced as a reality. Check this out, verse 6. And without faith, it's impossible to please him, right? You've heard this. Forever would draw near to God must believe, excuse me, that he exists, got it, and that he rewards those who seek him. The old King James says that he's a rewarder, a rewarder. That Greek word rewards, I believe it's the only time in the New Testament that, that particular word is used, okay? And, or rewarder, depending on the translation in English. It's this big Greek word that is a compound of three words. Now, I know you didn't come here to learn Greek, but let me just share this with you because it, it, rewarder sometimes can be misleading. I want you to get the essence of the word. The word is in three parts. Um, misthos, which is the first part, that means wages or to work, a work contract, okay? Apo means back, and didome means to give. So this Greek word is a combination. I can't say the whole thing, but it's a combination of those three words. And it literally means to give back wages, okay? Or to repay. Literally, someone who pays someone else for something that they did, okay? He's a rewarder of who? Those who seek him. Asking, seeking, knocking. That word seek implies diligent, consistent seeking. To strive after, to crave with an expectation that you will find. 
what we've been talking about, right? More miracles. When I talked about shameless, persistent knocking, in other words, what the scripture is saying is God is a rewarder of those who consistently, shamelessly, persistently knock. Here's what I'm trying to get at today. These believers, and this is so crucial for you and I to grasp, believed, check this out, that their faith did not just have earthbound implications. They believed that their faith did not just have temporary impact. These people did not just believe that their acts of faith and that their prayers of faith only existed in this realm. These people believed that God was keeping a tally of every time they prayed in faith. These people believed that God was keeping a tally of every time they acted in faith. They believed that the God who takes all your tears and keeps them in a jar, the God who counts all the hairs on top of your head, the God who's aware of every single bird in every single forest, and when one dies, he knows it. The God who knows every nuance of our lives and of our future is also keeping a record of your acts and prayers of faith and he has given an eternal promise and this is the promise and this is the big idea that faith in God never goes unrewarded what I'm saying here this is such a big idea what I'm saying here is that when you pray and you don't see it in this life. When we prayed for Jody, what stuck to my shoe? When we pray for Jody and we did not see the miracle, here's what I'm telling you. Scripturally, not a single prayer in faith is ever wasted in the eyes of eternity. Not a single prayer of faith. You said, well, Justin, we prayed for her healing and it, she didn't get healed. How does that work? How does a mutual fund work? You don't know. <laughs> Neither do I. I know that it's a family of um, assets, right? You've got bonds and stocks and cash, and it's all put together, and you have a fund manager. And that fund manager takes your deposits, if you make consistent deposits in a mutual fund, he'll take that monthly amount, say you put $100 or whatever it is that you maybe put in a mutual fund month after month after month, and uh, you know, you're putting it in there, but you don't, is it going to the stocks or is it going to the bonds? I don't know. Is it, where is that deposit going? Well, I'm trusting that the fund manager has a broader perspective than me. And my confidence is that that manager will put that asset in the most effective place possible. Here's what I'm saying. Sometimes we pray. And we don't know why we don't see the answer in this circumstance right now. But the confidence that every Christian needs to live with every day is that every act of faith, every time you pray for a sick person, every prayer of faith, every time you pray for someone to come to Christ will always be rewarded and remembered by God in heaven. There is no such thing as wasted faith. There is no such thing as wasted faith. So what does that mean? That means that you and I are given an invitation in this life to dare greatly. We can dare greatly because we know that any act of faith that we do in Christ, whether we see it in this life or not, will be rewarded. 
And that's why Abraham had confidence when he died. And that's why Moses had confidence why he died. That's why Sarah had confidence when she died because they believed that God is a rewarder, not just in this life, but an eternal rewarder of all of those who will diligently seek him. What I want to do today is impress upon you that you and I must dare greatly for God without shame, without fear, realizing that every act of faith and every prayer of faith will be remembered and rewarded by the one who keeps the tally of wages for all time. Let's look what happens to this lady in 2 Kings. We'll wrap up with this. 2 Kings, what happens to this lady? She's got a child who has died, and now she's going to give us a model or a display of what it means to act in faith. Check out what happens here. She dies. Now remember, she made a, I'm not, she didn't die. He died, baby died. Remember that uh, she made a room for Elisha the prophet. And here's what she does in verse 21 after the child dies. And she went up and laid him, that's the child, on the bed of the man of God and shut the door behind him. Why would she do that? The baby's dead. Why would she go lay him on the bed of the man of God? Well, scholars argue and you know, kind of discuss this. There's some debate about this. Here's what I believe. I believe that this woman laid this baby or this boy on this bed because she was saying prophetically through that act, God, this is your room. This is your problem. And what does she do next? Check it out. Look what she does next. I'm going to pick it up in verse 22. Then she called her husband and said, send me one of the servants and one of the donkeys that I may quickly go. And he said, why will you go to him today? She's going to go find the prophet. It is neither new moon nor Sabbath. So on specific holidays, she would go see this man of God. She said, all is well. That's an interesting response. Then she saddled the donkey and she said to her servant, urge the animal on. Do not slacken the pace for me unless I tell you. So she went on and came to the man of God at Mount Carmel. Isn't this interesting? I'm just wrapping up with this idea. What is this woman doing right now? I was praying about this, and I was like, God, what is going on here? In one sense, she's pushing the donkey to move faster. She's running around trying to get things prepared so she can go find Elijah. So obviously she's urgent, but at the same time, her husband asks anything wrong, and she's like, all is well. At the same time, she's confident. What's going on? See, contending contending for miracles is this unique blend of absolute anchored confidence in God for all time and divine urgency for the miracle to come now. It's this blend. It's not one or the other. It's both. So as a people, we're not passive and say, well, if God wants to do a miracle, he'll do a miracle. No, no, no. We are going to urgently pursue God for the miracle. But at the same time, we will live in a position where we say all is well. All is well. All is well. Look what happens. She goes to uh, Elisha. She falls down at his feet. Basically, she lets him know the child has died. He then sends his servant ahead with a staff. to say, And he says, you know, this is going to be a miracle. Lay the staff. I love this. Lay the staff on the child's face, all right? And so his servant rushes ahead and lays the staff on the child's face. Guess what happens? Nothing happens. Nothing then Elijah shows up to pray for the, baby, for the boy because nothing has happened. Check out verse 32. Elijah came into the house and saw the child was lying dead. And he went in and shut the door behind the, two, uh, behind the two of them and prayed to the Lord. Then he went up and lay the child, putting his mouth on his mouth, his eyes on his eyes, his hands on his hands. And he stretched himself upon him and the flesh of the child became warm. Then he got up again and walked once again back and forth in the house and went up and stretched himself upon him. And the child sneezed seven times and opened his Eyes. Verse 36, then he summoned Gehazi, that's his servant, and he said, call the Shunammite, that's the woman. So he called her, 
And when she came back to him, he said, pick up your son. Check out what she does. She came and fell at his feet, bowing to the ground. Then she picked up her son and went out. Was it more important to worship God or more important to embrace his blessing? It was more important to worship God. First, she worshiped. Then, she embraced the blessing. Friend, here's what I want to tell you today. I want to end with this. If uh, <clears throat> you guys want to stand to your feet with me, the band can come up. We're going to end in just two minutes here. I know we're going a little long, but people wanted to get baptized, so what are you going to do, right? As we close out this time, and as we kind of round out this series. We've looked for four weeks and as we do this as City Church, I want to impress on you that we don't do this stuff, you know, because we think it's um, going to be fun or because we think it's going to be attractive. We pray and seek God actually usually a year in advance, consistently asking him, Lord, what are the things that you want to press on your people at this time? And as we step into springtime, Easter, It's easy for us to become self-focused. It's easy for us to just focus on our problems. Hey, I can go to the beach pretty soon. We can play outside. We can do things for ourselves. And that's good. Thank God that this winter is over. Right? It's all good. But in the midst of that, what if a community of believers decided, you know what, we're grateful for all that and we'll enjoy the blessings, but we're not going to elevate those blessings above the giver of the blessing. Instead, we're going to stay focused on the mission to contend for other people to know Jesus. And we're going to invite people to this Easter Sunday because we believe God's going to touch their lives. And even if he doesn't, we're going to continue to believe because we understand that every act of faith is rewarded by God, that there is not an act of faith that he forgets that goes unrewarded. I just want to sing this over you briefly and, um, and then I'm going to dismiss. But in the next two minutes before we go, I want you to ask the Lord to solidify in your heart the work that he's been doing for these last four weeks. A passion for people to come to faith. Maybe you've been praying every day for people to come to faith. I want to urge you, don't stop praying after Easter. Make this the prayer of your life. Maybe you've been asking for miracles and you haven't seen any yet. Don't stop asking. Maybe you feel like you've been putting on that armor and you're still getting beat up. Don't stop putting it on. And maybe you feel like there's some walls in your heart because you haven't seen some things happen that you thought were going to happen. Today, embrace the truth that not one act of faith has been wasted. That you can trust your investor to make a good investment. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Father, thank you for all that you're doing in our lives. Thank you for this community of faith that you are consistently challenging and equipping and preparing for the next level. God, we want to say today that we love you. And God, you know the story of each individual here. And I pray in the name of Jesus that by your grace, you would develop in us the courage and the character to be people who contend with you. 
Father, put people on our hearts right now to begin to pray for. Put people on our hearts right now to begin to invite to church, to begin to show the love of Christ to. Stretch us beyond our natural boundaries so that we can see your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. If God is using this ministry in your life, we would love to hear from you. Email us at mystory@ourcitychurch.org. For more information about the church, visit www.ourcitychurch.org.